Okay, today is Tuesday, December the 15th, 2020, and I have with me um, Kevin Molina. Uh, hey, Kevin, how's it going? It's going great. Thank you so much. I've been waiting to do this for a very long time. All right, yeah, uh, glad to have you. Um, just to just to clear it up with the, everybody else who's listening, you are you are autistic, and I forgot your nationality. I am Puerto Rican, autistic. I am diagnosed with OCD, ADD, ADHD, and I have Asperger's syndrome. Above all, okay, all right. Um, how? Uh, well, I well, I particularly. Well, I'm still trying to figure out the format as I go. Um, how did you find out you were autistic? Did you know from birth or were you late diagnosed? Or um, My mother actually told me a story that I was diagnosed at the age of three that supposedly the doctors in Puerto Rico told her that I would not amount to anything. Uh, hence why after 1999, actually late 2000, uh, I was moved out of Puerto Rico into Germany where supposed services for kids under my circumstances were catered to and for eight years of my life I spent it in Germany developing myself but there was a lot of drawbacks that at first were not considered that eventually were discovered oh wow well I uh I just recently started work with a whole bunch of other late diagnosed people and we were all going into how we knew um, people in their like twenties and thirties and forties. I, I've even, um, I've even met an autistic man in his sixties who, who found out he was, who found out he was autistic after 60 years. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big club and we're, it's a big club and we're all in it. So what, uh, what do you, what do you, uh, what do you do for a living? I just realized I have no idea what you do. You, do you go to school? Do you, um, Actually, I do multiple things. I go to school every other weekend at the Nikki Peterson Talent Network in Bryan, Texas, where I take part in acting classes as a student. And when I'm not doing that, I am either a dinner theater performer and actor, or I am a theme park uh, performer and actor. Okay. So, so give the most part is my full time job. Okay. So given your multiple, ver- given your various diagnoses, correct? Um, yeah. Do you feel any anxiety when you um, get up on stage and perform, or do you feel like you're more in your element? Or I feel like I'm more in my element most of the time. The only time I feel uncomfortable is when I feel that something's missing, like a line, a blocking. When I am asked to um, rehearse or when I am asked to memorize uh, multiple monologues or multiple lyrics of multiple songs, like, for example, when I was in St. Philip's College in San Antonio, my final show was In the Heights by lin Miranda, directed by my theater professor, Vincent Hardy, who graduated me. Um, I was asked to perform and memorize 13 songs, which in my career at that point was unheard of. It was absurd. I'm like, I've never met such a challenge in my life. So that's when I started feeling the heat and nervousness. But when I started off with the Ballad of Emmett Till, which was my first show at St. Philip's College, I didn't really have to memorize any song other than uh, maybe one, two to four. So the more I am piled up on things, the more I am given time to, uh, the more things I'm given to memorize with the time not being adequate or equivalent to the content, the more difficult it gets for me. Like, for example, if you ask me to 
memorize three monologues in one day, come performance time, come audition time, I'm going to have some nerves running down my spine because I'm afraid of screwing up and costing me a role or costing me good reviews. But if you give me like two weeks or three weeks to memorize three monologues, then I'll come more confident. Gotcha. Gotcha. Because um, I'm always super impressed of like autistics who like, you know, take a creative path or, you know, does, uh, you know, evolve more beyond, you know, you know, do things more beyond the autistic stereotype, you know, sitting in front of a computer, repetitive tasks. Um, One thing I've come to learn is that autistic people are much better at creativity than they are at concrete things. Like, for example, uh, math and physics, we have a tough time with it. I almost didn't graduate from high school because um, in my first semester of my senior year, I failed my physics class and I had to take credit recovery and I barely made it out of pre-calculus with a C+. Whoa. I had trouble with math, too, so... And like, my only pre-AP life. in my sophomore year wasn't any kinder to me, either. Right. Yeah, I get... Uh, I, I, I I am eternally jealous of, you know, some autistic that I meet, and they can just... They can just run the uh, run the numbers, like, super well, and me, I'm just... I'm still... I'm uh, still wondering, like, how the hell do you guys do that? Right. And then other... And then you have to... And then you have to overcome that stereotype of, well, he can, well, he's good with numbers. Why aren't you good with numbers? Or he's good with programming. Why does it take you longer? And I'm just like, if, and you know, and you continuously have to make people accept the fact, especially neurotypical people, that if you meet one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. We all have different strengths. Yeah, yeah strengths, weaknesses. They're all. They're all wildly different, so believe yeah, me. And one thing I've noticed in terms of stereotypes, it, as a Special Olympian athlete, is that most people don't expect us to become professional, let alone college athletes. Most people just expect us to spend the rest of our days at Walmart, McDonald's, Wendy's, uh, supermarkets. Some even expect us to spend the rest of our days in the penitentiary or psych ward or rehab. Basically, anything that's below high expectations of that nature. Underemployment, basically. Yeah, or unemployment, or basically entrapment, if you think about it. Right. So they don't expect us to be NBA superstars. They don't expect us to be Academy Award winners. They don't expect us to have Grammys. Exactly. The numbers are against us. And what's even worse is that the people who are in power of this stuff, like, uh, for example, let's say the NFL cheerleaders... Just out of the blue. I mean, guys like me who are high functional, yeah, we've had dreams of dating him, but we're the first ones to have our dreams broken because, let's face it, America still has a stereotype problem of cheerleaders being condescending douchebags like police officers who abuse their power. And, you know, they wonder why Hollywood paints them so terribly. It's because, listen, art imitates life and life imitates art. They reciprocate each other. What goes on in the streets is what goes on on film. And what goes on on film goes on in our streets. Right. So if you're not a race and nationality or if you're not disabled, if you're not LGBT and you're complaining that your clique or your clan is being mispainted, chances are you're part of the problem. You're talking about the, the, the majority, not the minority, right? 
I'm talking in general. Um, it, um, if you're not, uh, let's say, if your entity doesn't fall within the discrimination clause in 1975, which is race, gender, disability, veteran status, and you're complaining that Hollywood stereotyping you guys when you guys are the ones at fault, then chances are you're going to have to look at the mirror and ask, what am I doing wrong? Because chances are you're at fault here. I appreciate your viewpoint, man. Thank you so much. Um, It's like with that Mike Benya guy. I I forgot the guy's name, but a few months ago in the aftermath of the George Floyd uh, death, uh, the murder, Mm -hmm. he had the audacity, he had the balls to say that the media is painting police officers to be abusive animals. And I'm like, well, Mr. Whatever your name is, you earned that reputation. You and your fellow law enforcers earned that reputation. The minute you violated Floyd's rights, the minute you violated Breonna Taylor's rights, the minute you violated Tamir Rice's rights, you earned that reputation by Hollywood and the media. I'm, I'm right there with you. Uh, a little background into how we met. Um, we met on we met on a Zoom call, right? Yes, it was about Matthew rushing which, by the way, he finally got his pardon from the Virginia government. But he's still not at home, so you know we're all. We're still waiting for that moment. Yes. Right, but he did get he did technically get the conditional pardon because of um because of the stuff that we said in the uh, in the meeting. So she so I mean Tara was the Tara downplayed her involvement, but you know. Well, I don't know much about Tara and her involvement in this, but I felt that Matthew's story kind of reminisced, made me reminisce on mine and how fortunate I was to avoid the trouble that he was put into because I can't really say that he that he got into it he was put into it because if I were to say that Matthew got into trouble it would make it sound like he did it to himself which in reality he didn't do it to himself it was corrupt police officers who put him in that predicament all right uh how how do you uh of course we have to go into the election you know the results of the election do you feel um, do you feel Biden's gonna gonna fix what's wrong with I, just, I can't even say that with a straight face. Do you feel Biden's gonna fix what's wrong with uh, with police brutality in the justice system? You know, starting in uh, starting in twenty twenty one. Um, I want to say yes, but keep in mind that the talk of the town right now is the COVID nineteen virus. I just got word that he's gonna be the first in line to be a test uh, patient for the vaccine. So my prediction will be that Biden will focus on the virus first. And if anything, then he will eventually focus on police brutality. But, you know, considering the current status of the world at the moment, and considering all the casualties that we've lost to the virus, which include the legendary Charlie Pride mm-hmm. of country music, um, I think his focus is going to be all put into the virus before anything else. Which, in some ways, I understand, but in other ways, it's still kind of sad because, you know, once the virus is over and done with, assuming it is, what's next? What are you going to take care of next? Are you going to take care of our economy? Are you going to take care of all the homeless people on the street, unemployment? What comes next? Our educational system or our public transportation systems and local governments? Gotcha. I, I, totally, I totally agree with you. Um, 
I can't really say that Biden will focus on police brutality, but one thing is for sure. I didn't even know he was taking the. I didn't even know he was going to take the vi- um take the virus on. Uh, I didn't even know he was going to take the virus on camera, uh, the vaccine on camera nationally. I did not know that. I. I part either about the camera but i did receive word from apple news on my phone that he is scheduled to be the first test patient for the vaccine here in the united states and uh, i thought it was going to i thought it was supposedly clinton in clinton and uh clinton and bush jr and obama and everybody started making fun of these people because um how do we know uh what was what's the joke uh how do we know we're not, they're not sticking themselves with saline instead of the vaccine? Uh, well, <laughs> I wouldn't know anything about that because I didn't hear that part. Oh. Uh, what I did hear was that Biden was first in line. I didn't know that Obama and Hillary were being discussed as potential candidates. Yeah, Obama, Bush Jr., Clinton, they were all, it, it just kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, all of it kind of reminded me of Elvis and the polio vaccine, so... All right, so thank you what for... What really catches me about the fact that Bush Jr. is in the discussion, it just goes to show you that, you know, it doesn't matter what side of the fence you represent, Democrat or Republican, if you are smart enough to understand that this vaccine is vital to our existence, if you're smart enough to understand that COVID-19 is not a game, then more power to you because there's still some people that are trying to put a political spin to it saying that the government's trying to put us in fear they're trying to make us scared and i'm like no the virus itself is what's making us scared the fact that some doctors who are fighting to save their patients of covid19 are dying themselves because of the virus i even heard a couple weeks ago a houston doctor who was helping covid patients sacrifice his own life by dying of covid19 himself I had a friend who's, uh, he just lost, he lost literally a family member from COVID-19, actually. I almost lost three friends and an in-law to that thing. And she only went, and she only went to church. She literally only went to church. And then her pastor fell, and she fell right, she fell literally after him, so. Yeah, and what's crazy is that I have a friend of mine who, I know I mentioned the NFL cheerleaders earlier, she used to dance for the Chicago Bulls during the Jordan era, and she's still under the impression that, you know, Trump is the savior, COVID-19 is fake, and her pastor, you know, against government wishes, decided to keep on having church, and I'm like... Yeah, church church is just dropped, like, literally all care whatsoever. They're just like... we're still going to be open. We're still going to have people. We're still going to have the congregation show up. And Yeah, and, and what's ironic is that these are the kind of people that would tell us to obey the law when we talk about police brutality. They would tell us to obey the law when we talk about racial profiling. But as soon as we tell them to obey the law, wear a mask, and don't go to church, and if, go, if you want to go to church, keep six feet apart, they're going to be the first ones to break it. It's I, too much irony, man. It's... It's like an oxymoron. It's a contradiction. I mean, what bothered me about COVID-19 more than anything is that it revealed... It shined a spotlight on all of the gross inequalities of the system that were there before the virus had ever even showed up. And what's even worse is that a lot of people got jealous of professional athletes for foregoing their professional sports seasons uh, because, well, you know, I couldn't forego my job 
You know, why do NBA players have to take breaks from their job when, you know, my job at Target or Walmart or JCPenney won't let me, you know, sit out until COVID is over? Well, first of all, the NBA is not JCPenney. The NBA is not the United States government. The NBA is not an energy plant. Um, Their jobs are different from yours. If you're an essential worker and you're complaining that you can't stay home with your family because professional athletes can, maybe the problem isn't with the NBA or the NFL or the MLB. Maybe the problem is with you and your employer. And if your employ, if you feel that your employer is jeopardizing your life and your career among the lives and careers of many of your colleagues, well, then maybe you should organize a strike. Maybe you should take them to court for negligence. And the government's and- already trying to push like. Um- releasing like any of the the uh releasing any said companies from liability i know in georgia where i'm staying you know yeah. uh businesses You're not that far away from me. I'm in Texas. right so in so if you go like the shopping complex that's literally around the corner from my house there's literally signs that literally signs up uh stating the law that basically if you die from covid-19 in said business the business is not held liable and it's already people, it's already happened so because they're already warning people to wear their masks sanitize themselves and people don't want to listen and and like i said it's ironic that these people who are protesting the stay-at-home order get angry at blm protesters and rioters for doing the same thing but with an actual reason you know i saw once a photo of a young white woman a 17 year old probably 18 holding up a sign saying, I want my senior year. And below, a seven-year-old black girl saying, I want my dad. I want or I want people to stop shooting at us. How is it that a seven-year-old young black girl is more intelligent and mature than a 17-year-old white girl on the verge of graduating from high school? That is a tragedy. That is a shame. It's true. It's true. I, I've always personally believed that if you just pay people to stay at home, I the numbers wouldn't have been that high. Yeah, I mean, if you just I got did. my unemployment. My unemployment was bigger than my final salary at Shoe Palace and North Star Mall in San Antonio. Like, I was working for minimum wage for a bunch of hours from, like, 8 to 10 in the morning all the way to 4 to 5 in the afternoon. And, you know, when the COVID uh, quarantine began, I was like, wow, this feels like retirement, man. Like, getting paid to stay at home and do nothing. That means I get to increase my education fund. That means I get to go to college eventually soon. I get to pay off my debt to my junior college because I owed him over $1,000 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I paid off all my debt in one fell swoop. And, uh, and before that, before the quarantine, I was owing so much money to my doctors, so much money to my college because of loans. I was owing everybody everything, including rent. Mm-hmm. But when the quarantine began, all that was washed away. I bailed myself out of trouble and I got a little more freedom again. Well, that money and you, you're looking at the um, you're looking at them talk about the stimulus now and literally no help is coming. They just they're not interested. They're not doing anything. They're not interested in helping. There's no yeah. help. Coming. There's literally no help coming. So, yeah, well, it's not like they really cared anyway. I mean, but the good news was that I finally got some money. So. It kind of felt like reparations for all the hours that I spent at Shoe Palace killing myself for minimum wage and all the years I spent killing myself at jobs I didn't like. So it kind of felt like, yeah, finally I get a little bit of Like good karma came your way, right? Yeah. All right. Like it's about time uh, life put some respect on my name. <laughs> but it would 
wouldn't be the first and final time that I'd end up having a couple middle fingers from life in one year. Gotcha. Um, now let me ask you a question because it just happened recently. And yes. um, in regards to Sia and Autism Speaks. I don't... Oh, yeah. Sia? Yeah. Um, I, I haven't heard from her in a while. Like, I haven't... She made a um she made a movie, right? And she um it's a, it's it's a, it's an um uh, it's an autistic character played by a neurotypical person. And uh you know, she experienced a significant amount of backlash um on social media about it. So mm-hmm. I think I know what you're about to ask, but go ahead and ask it to make sure. Okay. Uh Autism Speaks recently, you know, came out and said, you know, they were in support of Sia, right? They supported her artistic, you know, they supported her artistic choices and her selection of this NT person, this neurotypical person um, taking this autistic role. And uh, Sia did not particularly handle it well. I thought you knew about it, but... No, this went under the radar for me. Okay. Uh, how, How do you... How do I feel about it? Yeah. Not the first or the last time you see it. Please understand, Scarlett Johansson was also ousted for trying to play a transgender person, even though she wasn't transgender herself. And let's even go deeper than that. Let's go back to Birth of a Nation when you had white people playing black people, you know, in that old minstrel show fashion, you know, and then you go fast forward to the likes of Michael Clark Duncan playing a white Marvel character known as Kingpin in the first Daredevil live action film. Listen, man, race swapping, gender swapping, any kind of swapping involving Hollywood characters and things, it's nothing new. It's been going on for the longest of time, and no matter how hard we complain about it, it's not going to be the last time we see this. We're going to see more of this in the future. It's it's like a shit stain that never goes away on your shirt. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, no matter how much chlorine you put into it, no matter how much bleach, no matter how much detergent, you know, the stain's going to be on your shirt for life, so you got to throw it away. So, but to put it to you like this, if a neurotypical could have the role of an autistic person, then I don't see why I, as an autistic person, have to be barred from neurotypical roles because I've already played neurotypical roles as is. Sure, they're not in famous films. They're not in, I wasn't like main character or anything, but I played a neurotypical college football player in my All American as a member of the Arkansas Razorbacks. Mm-hmm. I was an extra. I also played a member of the TCU Horn Frogs in that film. Um, I played the role of a neurotypical audience member. Um, I played a neurotypical best friend to a protagonist recently this year in a religious drama that was filmed here in San Antonio. And all my uh, horror characters at the 13th floor and the character I'm playing for SeaWorld now, which is Bumble, the abominable snow monster from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Mm -hmm. guess what? They're all neurotypical. (laughs) So if they can take away roles that involve my real-life personality into it, then they should have no problem with me jacking them back. Gotcha. Actually, all right. Yeah. Um. How did you um? How did you find out about Matthew Russian, by the way? Because I um, didn't. That's crazy. Because I'm trying to remember. I think what happened was I was on my Instagram search, and he was part of my recommended, and I sent it to some friends of mine. Uh, 
one of them being uh, known as the five foot six autistic jumper dunker on Instagram. Mm-hmm. He goes by the alias Salazar Vice Kaepa. I don't know where he got that from. I can't remember. Okay. But I sent it to him, and I sent it to Kalen Bennett of Kent State Basketball, who is the first autistic basketball player in the history of NCAA college hoops to get a scholarship because the first actual player to play in NCAA college basketball, particularly Division One, was Anthony Niaini of Michigan State, as in Steve Smith, Michigan State, as in Mateen Cleaves, Michigan State, as in Irvin Magic Johnson and Tom Izzo, Michigan State. I meant the pardon. Oh, the pardon? Oh, I stay in the loop all the time. I check on my Instagram and I check on my Twitter to see where we're at with things. And uh, I even did what was asked of me by calling the Virginia governor's office. And I told him on the voicemail straight up, release Matthew Rushing right now. Like, I gave him a piece of my mind. All right. Okay. Uh, let's see. I think that's all. I, I think you pretty much cleared up a lot of, of what I was going to ask. Um. What, uh, what do you want to see for autistic people going forward into the next year, man? More professional athletes. More leading roles in television shows and films by any means necessary. More music productions. More Broadway productions involving them. I want to see these kids on the higher markets. You know, no more Walmart. No more McDonald's. No more Wendy's. No more prison stints. No more rehab or or psych ward stints like I mentioned earlier. You know, it's time we start grasping for the top, and it's tough. And on a side note, what's crazy is that a lot of Special Olympics athletes, especially even the more talented ones, they really don't have any ambitions of becoming professional athletes because they don't really see themselves being that. And look, I'm not trying to force anyone's dreams on them, but I noticed that a lot of people in Special Olympics, especially my fellow athletes, they sell themselves really short of what they can really do. Mostly because all their lives they've been told, well, you know, you're not going to do this, you're not going to do that. And they start becoming a little too content. They start becoming complacent for their own good. And they eventually start getting stuck. Okay. You mean stuck like stuck in their job or stuck mentally or? Stuck in mediocrity. Okay. And, you know, there's mediocrity and then there's excellence. Okay. I'm striving for excellence. Well, you brought up the Special Olympics. Did, did you did you perform in the Special Olympics? Because I didn't. I don't think you. Oh heard. yeah, over the course of my time, like you know, when I started getting cut by my high school basketball team, I decided to go to the Special Olympics division, and surprisingly enough, they had me back for the first time because um, the first time I participated in Special Olympics was in 2001 in my elementary school, and since then I've been doing mainstream sports because my middle school didn't have its own sports system. My high school didn't have a freshman team, um, so we had three freshmen make the junior varsity team, and we had one senior play junior varsity. And then when I moved to Texas, it was a totally different ballgame. You had a freshman squad, and uh, seniors were not allowed on JV unless it was track and field. Then they were allowed. But basketball, not a chance in hell. <clears throat> what was high school like for you? Hell. Is hell? Yeah. Oh, wow. So, okay, and you said you went. You said you went to college, and college was a much a much better fairy tale. Okay, cool. At least I got half of my life back there. Right, right, right. You know, most people I hear, most autistics I hear that went through uh, high school, 
usually do not remember it fondly. Yeah, I can't say I blame them. It's true. I mean, I like some things about going. I like some things about going through high school. I guess I had a personally, I had a warped. <laughs> I had a funny ass warped view about. It. I thought, you know, I thought I was. Uh, I thought I was like popular and I was going to get one of those superlatives at the end of the year. Oh, I had ambitions just like you, dude. I had ambitions of being an All-American shooting guard, you know, at the McDonald's All-American basketball game. I had dreams of becoming a Jordan Brand Classic All-American, uh, eventually playing for the University of North Carolina or Duke, you know, for the Tar Heels or the Blue Devils. But instead, I ended up at Special Olympics. Instead, I ended up at St. Phillips College, getting cut from their team and eventually getting cut from the Fort Sam Houston military basketball team. So I've been stuck at Special Olympics since 2012 and trying to get out. But in terms of my acting career, I, for the most part, I got my acting career back together because there was this thing called the UIL production scene, which is basically... It's a tryout process team that if you get in, you get into this thing called it's one act plays. It's basically competitive acting. Mm -hmm. You win awards for this and scholarships for this, by the way. And every year I tried out, I got cut. And every time I tried out for a high school musical, I got cut. So out of a possible 12 shows, I only made two my entire high school career. And that includes my first high school and my last one. And I remember the final words that uh, my theater teacher told me. She told me. The reason you didn't make the UIL productions team or you didn't make any high school musicals is because you're a hard head. And I'm like, wow, bro. Seriously? Like, <laughs> I'm a head case to you. And I'm like, that bitch. And then I went to St. Phillips College and then I met a teacher named Vincent Hardy, who now is the head of the kinesiology department and the theater department at SBC. And he told me, hey, I love hardheads. I'm going to love working with you. And we did four out of six shows together. I tried out for five shows, made four of them. And I was told to not audition for one show because all the people were have already been previously selected to do the show. It was a one woman show, actually a two person show. And that was it. But I did four out of six shows and I got my life back together as an actor now basketball which i love a little more i'm trying to i'm trying to get it back together i'm still in the rebuilding phase okay all right uh yeah no go ahead you know i had ambitions of dating members of the cheer squad you know i grew up with my sister who uh, was a second degree black belt in karate and you know we grew up watching buffy the vampire the slayer together you know watching wonder woman shows Batman shows. We were huge DC and Marvel fans, and she loved Sailor Moon and anime and Toonami. Um, she loved watching Bruce Lee films. I loved watching Michael Jordan stuff. So we grew kind of close in that way. We had our own heroes. My brother kind of looked up to Michael Jackson. He loved Dragon Ball. Um, I remember in the summer of 2011, there was a video game on PlayStation 3 called an Xbox 360 called Lollipop Chainsaw, which was basically a rehash of Buffy, but it was more obvious that you know she was a cheerleader who killed zombies instead of vampires, and you know used her cheerleading skills and turned them into martial arts skills, and pretty much showed the world how badass cheerleaders can truly be. But the reality is, the world that we live in, on paper, it looks like they had their shit together, but in reality, when you're when you get to know them. They're all over the place. And like I said, they share the same problem as police officers do. They abuse their power, and then they want to play the victim when they're the oppressor. It's true. Especially towards guys with disabilities such as you and I as well. Absolutely. 
I totally and agree. It's not just them. It's, you know, the varsity football players doing this. It's the varsity basketball players. You know, the irony of the high school athlete is with the males, they know they'll get their respect either way. With the females, they demand respect, which you can blame them, right? But then they end up dating people who will be the first in line to disrespect them behind their back. You know, I've seen a lot of boys, high school, uh, teenage varsity, or even JV or freshman uh, athlete boys on uh, Instagram talking mad shit about WNBA players, U.S. women's soccer players. And then if you call them out on their misogyny, they call you a simp, as in a woman kiss ass who's biased towards women, just so that you can get a chance at them. And then they tell you, oh, defending them's not going to get you laid. Well, trashing them's not going to grow inches on your dick either, buddy. So you might as well cut the shit. So it's just ironic that some of these guys who talk crap about female athletes online, some of them have female athletes for girlfriends. And little do they do the girlfriends know that the same people they're demanding respect out of are the ones stabbing them in the back. And then they get angry at us for telling them about it. And they tell us, oh, you don't get to choose who you love. You know, you're just being bitter. We don't owe you anything. And I'm like, well, you owe us our time back for trying to respect you and you disrespecting us when you demand respect out of us and we give it to you and you spit it back in our face. That's what you owe us. Five minutes of our life we'll never get back. So, did you know, leading off of that regard, uh, have did you know about um, uh, Tulsi Gabbard in the Title IX uh, in her... Uh, Pushing forth a bill on Title IX, basically. Um, Is this about banning transgenders from sports? Yes. Okay, so you know what's ironic? That people are blaming transgenders for the so-called murdering of women's sports. Yet, all of a sudden, we just wrapped up a WNBA season a couple months ago, which, quote-unquote, nobody cared about because it's not exciting because it's not male males are more exciting than women in sport because biology so let me get this straight five minutes ago people are claiming that lack of revenue and lack of capital are killing women's sports while women's sports is still standing because there's women's ufc uh, or mma in general there's women's tennis there's women's gymnastics basketball you name it playing on espn playing on nbc laying on almost every net major network you could think of, including CBS, and you're claiming women's sports is dead or die because a couple people are happen to be transgender or beating other girls in sports or whatever? Nuh-uh, no. Which one is it? Are transgenders killing women's sports? Or is revenue and lack of capital killing women's sports? Because the way I'm looking at this, there's no way in hell it can be both. There's no way. <laughs> and another thing is, as a man who has lost to a woman in basketball one-on-one and who's had an ex-girlfriend who held her own in sparring sessions for martial arts and all that stuff, let me tell you something. I hate it when guys say that women never beat men on anything on their own merit because that means that they haven't learned their lesson that women are more powerful than we can imagine. The more we underestimate them, the more we pay for it. So, for example, if we can't respect women for being athletes, how long to, to, will it be till we end up paying for it in court when we lose our children to our ex-wives, our ex-fiancés, and ex-girlfriends? It's funny how guys like to complain, oh, you know, the country's so biased towards women, you know, especially in the courtroom when it comes to kids. I'm like, yeah, because we egg them on to do it. 
The more we keep making misogynist comments on social media, the more we keep negating their accomplishments when they beat us at something, the more we negate their accomplishments in general over anything, the more it gives the government reason to be biased towards them. We are digging our own grave here. Do not give them any more reason. They're already loaded with reasons. We need to take away reasons. So it angers me when the same people that say, oh, you need to work hard to get what you want. Uh, you need uh, the most qualified person should get the job, uh, negate the accomplishments of a certain person like Chelsea Mitchell, who she is a female track runner in the state of Connecticut, I believe. She is in league with Selena Soul, who spearheaded the uh, banning of transgenders movement, who, by the way, blocked me on Instagram, which is another story for another time. She, out of her own hard work and determination, beat a supposed biological male, and instead of getting congratulations and getting the title of a real-life Wonder Woman, she gets told, oh, well, you know, the transgender through the race, he lost on purpose to not look so bad. Really, ladies and gentlemen? Whatever happened to working hard? Whatever happened to getting what you earn or whatever? All this crap that you've been spewing for months and months— all this political spin that you've been putting on it, well, you know, conservatives work hard and don't whine. I'm like, well, it looks like conservatives are whining right now. <laughs> it just goes to show you, man. It Sometimes hard work really does pay off, but then there's other times where no matter what you do, you get screwed out of opportunities because it's not a political thing. It's a circumstantial. It's a social kind of thing. Some people just have it in for you. Other people want to see you win. Other people want to see you lose by any means necessary. And, you know, the, and it reminds me of how people overlook Special Olympians and how good they can be at the college ranks and the professional ranks. Because, you know, while AAU uh, teams at the at the tender grade of grade eight, eighth grade are being scouted by these colleges, you know, yeah, you even have some kid being scouted from the fifth grade to play college basketball, which is absurd. You have all the time in the world to be a college scout from Kentucky or Louisville and Instead of scouting an 18-year-old Special Olympian who can dunk, who can shoot the three and all that stuff, you're going to waste your time on a fifth grader who's nowhere even near freshman year yet. What kind of bullshit is that? So I know to an extent what women go through when they get their accomplishments in sports negated. While I'm not a woman myself, it hits home to not be recognized or to be disrespected for your accolades because people think that you're a joke. So... My thing about the banning transgenders thing is if you're going to ban transgenders by the time you're finished, y'all better start going to these events. Y'all better start filing up those seats. You better put your asses in those seats. You better start buying merchandise. You better start buying tickets. You better start watching these women's events on TV. Because if you don't, that just goes to show you that, yeah, you're right. Nobody cares about women's sports. That whole transgender thing, it wasn't genuine. It was just to prove the fact that women will, quote unquote, forever be inferior to males. And to them, it's it's a ceiling of the stamp, you know. It's a stamp on the fat. Huh. Yeah, accept inferiority, bitches. Go back to the kitchen and get me a sandwich. And that's why I told Selena Soul that you have rats in your faction and watch out for them because some of them, yeah, they're sincere. They love women's sport. They want to see it succeed. But then there's others who want to see it stay down below till it's no more who are fake supporting it just so they can drive their point home just to spite Selena and Chelsea and others, other females who are pushing for this just so they can stab them in the back. You know, ironically, they have their backs just so they can stab it. Nothing else. 
So they better know what they're getting themselves into if they're going to sign that bill about banning transgenders. Because if anything, if if they're thinking about, oh, well, why not open a transgender division? I'm like, why not make an overall division for those who are interested? Transgender and biologicals alike. You know, let the kids decide who they want to race against. And if they don't want to race against the opposite gender, keep them in the mainstream division. If they want to test themselves to the absolute limit, yeah, put them in the overall division. Don't subtract just that because i know some people are like well what are you going to do are we going to do it with the women's division no we don't have to do away with anything just add how lazy are we going to get all right so like people just don't understand like until they walked in my shoes they don't understand how powerful a female athlete can be let alone your fellow special olympics athlete and uh, i was the kind of guy that when i first started in special olympics basketball at the high school level i thought to myself yo all these games I'm going to drop 30 apiece. I'm going to whoop everyone's ass by myself. You know what I mean? Everyone's everyone's neurodivergent like me, but I'm the most advanced on the court, right? You know, um, everyone else is of a severe condition. Their fundamentals aren't as strong because of their condition being more severe than mine. So I should whoop everyone's ass easily. Surprise, surprise. My first game, I had like 28 points, yet my team lost by two points. I was the best player on the court, and my team still lost by two points. And I'm like, damn. And I remember that year we got bronze at district, and we got bronze at area. And I was and I was in for the shock of my life because that's when I realized, holy shit, Special Olympics basketball players can be just as good as me, even though even though they're not societally as equipped as I am, even though they're not as advanced socially as I am or whatever, some of them are better than me athletically. That's when I got the wake-up call saying, you know, Hey, nothing in this life's guaranteed, man. Just because some people don't play high school basketball or some people play Special Olympics or because they're females or whatever, whatever the case, that doesn't mean they can't whoop your ass. I even had uh, one of my therapists, ABA therapist, whoop my ass one-on-one, and he had never played a, a minute of high school basketball in his life. He was a high school wrestler. And I had a JV girl beat my ass one-on-one. And as I said, she was a JV player in my senior year, and I was a senior Special Olympics player. And I beat one-on-one a former freshman player who happened to be taller than me and was a male. And just recently, a couple weeks ago, I played one-on-one in my local neighborhood court against a kid who was a freshman AAU player, and I'm a special Olympian, and I beat him 7-0. 7-0 skunk. He didn't get the ball. It just goes to show you, man, like, credentials are only as powerful as you give them power to. Like, anyone can have credentials, but sometimes... You know, your credentials don't do you any good if you don't put them into motion. And sometimes people with lower credentials than you can still kick your ass, too. All right, man. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for taking the time to speak to me. Um, thank you. You know what's crazy, uh, hmm. uh, Emmanuel, was I was expecting to retell my story of the night I was hassled by police officers. I was expecting you to ask me about that. But, hey, you know, this is a good interview as is, too, so... Okay, um, well, let's look at it like this. I might scrap, like, the whole, like, maybe first 10 episodes or whatever, or maybe when I get into a group or whatever, and I was going, I made my personal promise that I was going to redo everyone's interview anyway, if they had started with me, so, like, like, every, so, like, everybody who, everybody who, like, took the time out of their day to, like, talk to me for, like, X amount of, 
X amount of minutes or whatever. Like in the beginning, you know, I wanted to give them first up. So definitely, um, I would love to talk to you again in the future. Um, I mean, I'm already eager to give you a part two of this. Like, we can make this an anthology of interviews or a trilogy if you want to. I'm up for it if you're up for it. Okay. Um, let me check the... Let me check the tapes and stuff like that, because I just want to make sure that we're good here. And if we are, I can definitely have you back on in concurrent weeks. I mean, you're not the first one who's asked to come back, and you definitely won't be the last. So, um, yeah, did you uh, do you have anything you're working on right now? Do you have a website or a Twitter handle or any? Uh, well, right now my Twitter is at Hand of Destruction N O F D E S T R. U-C-T-I-O-N, and I was just recently noticed by the Harlem Globetrotters for my trick basketball shot clip of DC's Deadshot from Suicide Squad. So I'm working on a Suicide Squad uh, Deadshot trick shot project, um, which is ironically called Deadshot, because not only is he a good assassin off the court, but on the floor, uh, because it reminded me of the Suicide Squad scene where he bounced a bullet off a fence, a little tab or whatever, like a little mini wall, and then he killed his target. So the clip that I sent to the Globetrotters via Twitter, it showed me bouncing the ball off the floor into the backboard and into the basket, and then me pointing at the basket with a fist because my uh, my dead shot gauntlets looked like the gauntlets from the film that he wore to shoot people with because he didn't use actual guns to shoot people with. He had his own, like, modified arm gun. Okay. So oh, that's wow. one thing I'm working on. I just finished a Fantastic Four cosplay real project on Instagram under the handle Legend23KM, um, where I tested the Inferno filter two times, which basically the Inferno filter is a black background with the face or the body being on fire with the color of your choice, red, blue, green fire. I put the traditional orange because I cosplayed as a human torch. I have the Michael B. Jordan suit and I have the Chris Evans suit both at my house. Oh, wow. That's um, pretty awesome. Okay. Right now, I've been a little MIA from Instagram in terms of posts lately because sometimes I run into a little stump about what I want to post next. Right. Uh, what topic I want to cover next. And recently, I just uh, upgraded what was my cosplay championship, Michael Jordan cosplay from the Chicago Bulls, um, by getting a traditional 93 to 98 Jordan jersey, which was red. Because the one that I won with had the 1998 NBA Finals logo on it. Mm-hmm. And I did so with 72 and 10 Retro 11s, which Jordan never wore in a game. So while it did look accurate, well, it really truly wasn't accurate. So uh, MJ wore the Air Jordan 14s in the 1998 Finals against the Utah Jazz when he made that last shot as a bull. So um, I'm still missing the uh, retro 14s and I'm missing some black NBA socks which many years ago I had three pairs black white and red but they all had holes on them and I had to eventually throw them away and ever since Nike and Stance took over the NBA socks I couldn't find any plain NBA socks to complete my MJ cosplay wow okay well thank you for being here uh thank you so much for finally giving me my moment dude like I know we've been waiting for this and it's been a wild year right I'm already a fan of your work, man. If you could do me a favor, send me a link of this interview when you're ready to put it on Anchor so I can hear myself and see what the reactions are. Hopefully, I get a positive reception. Hopefully, uh, I don't.
don't get the first impression to the world. I haven't done that many, but I appreciate the acknowledgement, man. Thank you. And um, well, wherever you post this interview, hopefully people are understanding of my position on things. That it, life is not so simple as just work hard and get what you want. Sometimes things get in the way, and people people start getting a little out of hand with things, especially with things we can't control that they can control. Um, life is a very complex thing to have. Mm-hmm. If there's anything I want people to learn from this interview, is that life is not a simple thing to live. And um, again, I thank you for letting me state my first piece, and I'm looking forward to stating more pieces on subjects because, uh, I mean, I'm already a fan of your work, and I'm already a fan of you talking to me ever since we met at the Matthew Russian Zoom call. Um, so I'll be glad once you send me the link to this particular show and hopefully I give a good first impression and have some people have some more people in my corner. All right. Okay, well thank you so much. This is and the thank you so much, Emmanuel. Yeah, this is the Platistic and uh, this is the interview with Kevin Molina. And uh, if you wanna if you wanna reach out to me, my Twitter handle is at the Blue Maverick and I also submit on Neuroclastic. So thank you for listening. Um, I hope you guys have a great night. Good night, everybody. Thank you so much.